With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice podcast explores our need for validation and affirmation through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Discover relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. The COVID-19 pandemic has left us with such uncertainty and I'm sure all kinds of stories. Social distancing, working from home and finding creative ways to connect with each other have become our new normal. But what would it be like to contract the virus? Join me on this special episode where I speak with Pastor Marvin Williams, lead pastor of Trinity Church in Lansing, Michigan. We talk about the pandemic and what it felt like for both he and his wife to contract the virus. We explore the effect the pandemic has had on him, the church, his faith, and how we can take notice of God in the craziest of times. Today, I'm honored to have Pastor Marvin Williams as my guest. Pastor Marvin is lead pastor of Trinity Church in Lansing, Michigan, which is actually my home church, so he is my pastor. (laughs) Prior to leading Trinity, he helped plant Tabernacle Community Church and served at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids. He is a graduate of Bishop College, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. He is also a regular devotional author for our Daily Bread Ministries and regularly speaks at conferences and retreats across the country. So Pastor Marvin, welcome. Thank you, Susan. It's so good to have you here. We can have this conversation about the COVID-19. So many things have been going on. So of course our listeners are gonna wanna know your story and what happened. So can you tell us a little bit about the details about you contracting the virus? Sure. My, my son, Micah, we believe he was the carrier. So he came back from Wayne State when all the students were coming back to, um, you know, to live at home or to, again, to go back home. And so we believe that when Micah came home, you know, he came home already ill. And we, we, we asked, okay, why did, well, we didn't ask, why did you come home? That would have been kind of weird. But he came <laughs> home and he was sick already. And probably about three or four days after he was home, my wife fell sick. She started coughing, having aches and um, a high fever. Her fever got as high as 103.7. Mm-hmm. So she was like really, really struggling. Um, again, high fever, runny nose, coughing. And, and she, like we had her in the basement here and where she could re- you know, kind of be away from everybody else. We didn't want to take any chances. So she, um, she basically recovered maybe after three or four days. And then maybe probably three or four days after she started feeling a little bit better, I started feeling some, uh, some of the symptoms she had. Now, at this point, we didn't, we didn't know that we had COVID. We didn't know that my son probably was the carrier, but we felt uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the symptoms. Probably about three to four days after I started feeling some of the symptoms. And then how I, how I kind of anticipated or at least thought that we had it is when I could not smell anything 
or mm. taste anything. So in addition to, in addition to the, uh, the fever, the aches, and the, a lot of the other symptoms, with the exception of the shortness of breath, I started feeling, man, I couldn't smell, I couldn't taste, and that frightened me probably the most. So that, that was on a Saturday where I lost my ability to taste and smell. It was one of the most discouraging things, mm-hmm. one of the more frightening things, one of, a disheartening thing, because if you, don't, if you can't taste and smell your food, then why eat? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I kind of went through that night um, talking or, or eating, and I kind of went through that night, ate my food, but I couldn't taste it. I just felt the texture of it. So the next morning I got up and we we're getting ready for worship and, and I had, um, you know, taken a shower. And so I started putting on deodorant and I couldn't smell it. It literally mm-hmm. could not, it's, it's the weirdest thing, could not smell it at all. So I came to Tanya and I said, I think, I think we have uh, the coronavirus. And she said, well, what makes you say that? I said, well, I can't smell I can't smell anything. I can't smell my deodorant. So I'm walking around the house having everybody smell my armpits. Can you smell that? Can you smell that? And so they could, but I couldn't. And that that frightened me. Mm-hmm. So that Thursday, we finally said, okay, we're going to go and get tested. And we got tested. And we um, they, they stick a very, very long swab up your nose. They try to get it to the back of your throat. It's probably the most uncomfortable five seconds of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we waited three days. Said so they were saying typically it would take a week to get the results. We got ours in three days. So that Sunday night, uh, I, you know, again, I spoke, but that Sunday night, I spoke that morning, Sunday night, the doctor called and gave us the test results, gave us the test results that we had tested positive. And, I, you know, at that, once we heard that information, it was almost as if we yeah, kind of everything slowed down. We were sad. Uh, we, we went through the gamut of emotions. We were sad. Uh, we were, there was a sense of fear, uh, a sense of discouragement, because all of the news, you have to understand, Susan, that all of the news we had been hearing was nothing but negative news. And immediately my mind went to a dark place that we're going to be somebody in our family is going to be a statistic. We had six people in our home and our now our entire home is exposed. So I just assumed this was this was in the split split second of getting this information. Someone in our family is going to have a tough time breathing. They will have shortness of breath. We'll have to take them to the hospital. They'll be put on a ventilator. They will not survive. And we will not be able to go to the funeral. So this was this was all in a split <laughs> second wow. of, of um, having contracted um, the virus. And so at that point, we 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 kind of went on the journey of experiencing literally all of the symptoms from again, as I shared before at the outset, uh, achy body, fever. Uh, the fever lasted six days. It's a low grade fever for me, at least. Low-grade fever, 99 to 101, that was the range of my fever. And I felt tired and fatigue, um, what they call heavy chest. Heavy chest is when it, when it feels like something is weighing on your chest 
And this was so different than any other flu. I had diarrhea. Again, diarrhea, not the reg. if there's a regular kind of diarrhea. <laughs> TMI. <laughs> I, had kind of, I had the kind of diarrhea that you were afraid. I was afraid to go to sleep because I assumed that, that it was so bad that I was going to, you know, soil the bed. So, so it felt like, so I wasn't getting sleep. I wasn't getting rest. I had nightmares. And so, wow. um, so again, we, we had a range of the symptoms with the exception of the, of the shortness of breath. Now, had we gotten the shortness of shortness of breath, the doctor would have, the doctor told us go directly to the hospital so um, they can help you be able to uh, be able to breathe. And so, so at this time you were in quarantine, right? Yeah, we were in quarantine at this time. What, so after, after we found out that we had contracted the virus, they immediately said that you have to be in quarantine for the 14 days. So both Tanya and I, Tanya was running a little bit ahead of me because she had recovered. Um, she, had, she, she had begun her recovery faster than me. Uh, then I was placed in quarantine. She was in quarantine, but I was also placed in quarantine. So I spent most of my time in the basement um, with disinfected wipes and uh, water and um, uh, thermometers and all of those kinds of things. And so, so again, it, it was the, the journey. Once we found out, it felt it. Once we found out that we had contracted the virus, it felt like the symptoms for me came on faster and more intense at that mm, point. Okay. And um, so we just, we simply journeyed through and uh, Tanya began to, uh, to be able to taste her food and taste her coffee and taste her Pepsi. Uh, and, and that kind of let us know that she was on the, um, she was on the upswing. Uh, sure. but, but my symptoms lasted longer than hers. Uh, my fever lasted about six days, low-grade fever. My inability to taste and smell lasted about six days. My diarrhea lasted about three days. And the heavy chest lasted the entire time before um, I fully I fully recovered. And so there were there were moments where I was I was really frightened and in in the sense that I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm gotcha. waiting for the last symptom to come on where I can't uh, where I can't breathe and uh, or I had hard time breathing, a hard time breathing. So, so of um, course you were concerned about your fit the physical part of this, right? And, yes. and what this was doing to your your body physically, but what reactions did you have emotionally? I mean, you know, you you are a human, you are a pastor, of course, but you are a human being, and you must have had some kind of reactions. What kind of things were you experiencing? Yeah, yeah. So, so again, as I said earlier, um, sadness, discouragement, and again, you know, as you know, as a pastor, you shouldn't experience sadness. No, the Bible gives us That's right. <laughs> one of the greatest one of the greatest kings in the Bible, David. David lamented. He lamented all the time. God, why? Uh, I asked those questions and I felt like, man, God, I'm not done yet. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, when I went there, like, like, like I'm gonna die. That's that was one of the emotions that I experienced. And I'm saying, but wait a minute, I'm not done yet, God. And are you are you calling me home before my my time is up? So sadness, fear, uh, discouragement, dis- just you know, kind of this sense of disillusionment with uh, because as people are talking on the TV and, or in the media, 
it is the moment you test positive for COVID, it is it feels like a death sentence for a lot of people. So when I when I made the video, I made a video to let let the congregation know that I had tested positive for them to be praying. Mm -hmm. I, I started getting text messages and phone calls and you know, Facebook messages and are you okay? And we're praying for you. And they mm -hmm. started giving me home remedies because I think when they hear COVID-19 that people assume it's an immediate death sentence. Now my heart goes out to every family member or every family member who's lost a loved one during mm -hmm. this time. Yes. I can't begin to imagine that. And and so I, I can I can understand how some people would assume that the moment you contract the virus, that it is an immediate death sentence. And um, and so I, I had to I had to begin begin to speak life over my life and my family versus speaking death and thinking death over our family. So that those are the those are the range of emotions that. I, I experience, you know, I, I can't, I'm tired and I'm fatigued, so I can't get up and I can't do the kinds of things that I desire to. And so feeling of discouragement in that sense. Right. So a range of emotions during, uh, during this time. And, you know, I think it's great that I think we have, it's a process. Healing is a process and how God heals us is a process. And so part of that process is just admitting that this hurts and lamenting like you were saying, that's part of the process. I think that's part of our humanity. And God says, it's okay, let it hurt, let it hurt. But then he wants to say, let it heal. Right, okay, right. There's, there, the process isn't over in the hurting. So yeah. he wants to say, let it heal. And absolutely. then obviously, let, uh, eventually let it go. But yeah, in the healing, so tell me about the healing process. Obviously you're okay now. Yeah, so, so six, six, um, six days of not being able to smell, six days of a low-grade fever, and, um, and I'm asking God, when is this going to be over? Like, like I'm ready to move beyond this, to move past this. And I think I began to experience, uh, I began to experience uh, the healing process, and this is one of my favorite memories of the healing process. So I'm not able to sleep at night. I'm waking up in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, having crazy dreams and nightmares and and um, not being able to taste and smell. And then all of a sudden, about three o'clock in the morning, one night, one morning, I had an insatiable desire for a glass of orange juice. It's hmm. the weirdest, hmm. weirdest thing for me. I had not had any appetite for anything, not having a taste for anything. And yet in this moment, God gave me a gift. And I'm not really, I don't drink as much orange juice as I used to. I used to drink orange, orange juice all the time. But in this moment, three o'clock in the morning, God gave me a gift. And it was a gift like I'm, I'm healing you. I'm bringing you back. Mm, mm, I had good. this insatiable, insatiable desire to have orange juice, but I was too tired and fatigued to get up and go get some in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'll, I'll wait until I get up, you know, later, later this morning. And, uh, and so as soon as I got up, I got me a cup of orange juice and I could faintly taste it. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most beautiful moments, at least in, in, in my life, 
that I could taste orange juice again. A so little you bit felt like God noticed you, huh? Yeah, that's right. He, no, he noticed, <laughs> he noticed you with orange juice. See, he does yes. it in all kinds of ways, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What? I was hoping it would be bacon, but it was yeah. orange juice. Well, bacon's time. good too. Bacon's good too. <laughs> so tell me, what do you think are some some of the common myths about this COVID? Yeah, so so I think one of the common myths is what I just mentioned that the moment you contract the virus, that it's a death sentence. And I think that myth can send us spiraling out of control and speaking death over ourselves. And, and again, I'm not saying that those who are who struggle with it, I'm not saying to not feel the, the anxiety around that. Right. But I am saying that it doesn't mean that it's a death sentence. So one of the things that I that encouraged me was the 84 to 85 to 86% of people who recovered and who recovered from the virus. And But the media wasn't saying that. The media wasn't talking about the recovery process, but it was raising the, um, the other side where people are dying. And we need to pay attention to that because if the curve is not flattening, we're not flattening the curve, then we have to continue to quarantine and shelter in place so that we can help flatten the curve. But all the stories that I saw, they were stories of death, stories of struggle, and and those were not the only stories, though. And so that's one of the common myths, I think, that COVID-19 is an immediate death sentence for anyone who contracts, uh, who contracts the virus. Another misconception, if you will, is that you, you, just because you don't feel the symptoms or have the symptoms, that you don't have the virus. So, so, so that's the reason I think testing is important. We, we didn't have to get tested, but we did get tested because we wanted to make sure that if we did go out into public, that we weren't um, inadvertently passing the virus along to anyone else. So, so testing is important because there are people who might be asymptomatic and they, again, they simply don't know they have the virus and they could inadvertently be passing it along, passing it along to others. And so, um, again, a misconception is that that asymptom being asymptomatic means that you don't have the virus. And that's so the that's purpose. Important. That's the purpose of the masks too. Is to purpose I kind of I kind of was explaining this to my husband the other day that the purpose the the mask is really it's kind of a loving act for other people. You know, you're showing them that you don't, even though you might not have symptoms, they don't know that. So by having a mask on, when you do go to Meyer or wherever, you're showing a a sense of love that you care about the other person enough to not let them get discouraged about you spreading it to them. So I think that's, I think that's, in my opinion, a great, it's actually an act of love in a way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and to mention, and, and to tag on to that, I think another misconception that somehow the shelter in place and the, the advice to shelter in place 
is somehow infringing upon our religious rights. And I just, uh, again, I think it's a misconception. It's about loving our neighbors and loving them well during this uh, during this season. And, and we were one of the first churches to say, hey, we're not going to hold gatherings. We made that decision. And then the governor came out with her uh, with her order. Uh, we, we said in that meeting, we want to love our neighbors well. We want to love our church members well. And we will we will abide by what the governor is saying to us. She's not asking us to violate biblical principles. She is giving us wisdom. And we said, okay, we want to we wanna listen to that. And so I think a misconception is that somehow the shelter in place is violating our religious rights. And I just simply, uh, I simply don't necessarily believe that. And Trinity Church, I can speak for, of course, other churches are doing this as well, are going out of their way to stay connected with all of us. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit how this has affected Trinity and your staff, and in what ways has this just changed the way, not only you do church, but the way that you try to reach out to, to all of us? Sure. So, so this has allowed us to pivot or caused us to pivot. And as soon as we found out that we were going to be sheltered in place, we had um, we, we had our services, but we had our services in the atrium instead of the instead of the um, in, instead of the auditorium. However, it was only a few of us in the atrium, and we broadcast that to our Trinity family. Mm-hmm. And I think people appreciated that because we could not gather together in the building at the same time. We said, "How do we continue to provide?" a quality worship experience in our gatherings that will uh, that will bless and encourage and empower our people. And so we had maybe 15, 20 people doing cameras and lighting, and we had our worship team in the atrium being able to, uh, for us to broadcast the, uh, the service to our people. We pivoted a- again with our staff where we have um, we ha- we are doing Zoom meetings, we are doing Microsoft Teams to stay connected. We're doing things during the week, whether it is prayer times or fun things, trivia night, so that our people can maintain connection. Our elders and staff are calling all of our members and regular attendees, and and the people have absolutely loved that. And in so doing, we believe our footprint has gotten larger. What I mean by that is that that the number of people who would actually come to our building are now engaged with, beyond that number, are now engaging with Trinity. So if we had 1,500 to 2,000 people to come to our building on a weekend, we believe that number now is in the 3,000 and 4,000 range because awesome. we are reaching a number of people. People in our congregation are tagging people on the socials. They're tagging people on Facebook to say, watch the service, be encouraged by the service. And that has been so encouraging that people who would not normally invite people to our worship gatherings are now finding the courage to just simply tag another person, share the the worship gathering with someone so that friends and family members might be encouraged. So we this has changed us in a, in a real way, but I think it's changing us for the better as well. Well, and I also love different things you were doing like 
Carol, Carolyn Kirsten did this whole thing where she was asking people to draw pictures for Easter. And yes. of course, I'm a real fan of kid art. I think kid art is just special. And so when she did that, my whole face lit up. I thought that was awesome because that's not only a way of, of presenting it for, you know, and using it for a worship service, but it's a way to connect with people during, during that and, and have them be doing something productive and positive with their family. There's been all kinds of stories like that going on. I know I'm a small group leader, so I'm still doing my small group on Zoom. And we just finished that emotionally healthy spirituality class. And I'm a lay counselor and I'm still lay counseling on Zoom. (laughs) So it's still happening. It's just happening differently. It's happening differently. And, you know, I don't know if different is, I'm not putting a judgment if it's good or bad. It's just different. And yeah. so, um, you know, of course I miss the in-person and I can't wait till we have that worship service again. Can't mm-hmm. wait for that. But, you know, I know a lot of people are discouraged and I'm finding some, I'm hearing people who are very anxious, of course, because they're uncertain about the unknown. I also found people are being really reflectful and kind of looking inward to themselves. Um, one of the things I think God is showing me during this time is that, he keeps saying this over and over. My ways are not your ways. Now, okay, Pastor, I can admit I have heard that verse before. Okay? I have heard that verse before. But now it has it's taking on a new dimension for me because it's like, you know what? Maybe his ways are better. <laughs> and I know they are, but it's I'm starting to see how maybe it is different. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's worse. It could mean it's better. So that's about changing our perspective. And I know the scriptures help us renew our mind all the time. What have you seen happening with the people that you've been in touch with and members of the congregation and whatnot? What kind of concerns have you seen coming from from people? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think all of the things you hit on. Um, people are being more reflective in their um, in in their thinking. They're being more intentional with uh, with family. I was on a Zoom call with our small group men, and um, and they they were talking about time with family. Some of them were saying, "I don't know if I want to go back to the physical building because they they're able to eat lunch with their family. They're able to eat have dinner with their family, and so that that is there. I think they are reflective about their relationship with God, but they're also reflective." about their relationship with their family and how do we do family differently now that we we have experienced these seven uh, these seven weeks i think people are are asking the question what really matters uh, what really matters in life i've been chasing all of these things and now a lot of those things have been taken away and so now they're asking what are the things that really matter in life and so you're boiling it down to a few things. Uh, family is important. Our relationship with God is important. Personal health is important. I've known people to, um, they are doing more walking in their reflection. They're doing more exercise in their reflection. They're doing, some people have gotten back to their hobbies. They're doing things that are restorative and things that they probably let go of because life was so hectic and busy. People are gotten into the scripture a little bit more. Again, you and I were in the emotionally healthy spirituality class. People are actually practicing silence and solitude mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. 
and that that the world has kind of stopped in a sense. And so that's been that's been fun to hear that people are are actually taking up some of the things that we've been talking about during the weekend gatherings. And community has been important. You know, Zoom Zoom is not in person, but it feels like you have to pay more attention in your community during a Zoom uh, a Zoom call. Uh, in our Zoom calls, we say no muting and no going off screen because we, we this is such uh, an important time for us to be together that we want to make sure that we can see one another and we can hear one another as we're, as we're doing a meeting or as we're doing a call. The other thing that I've noticed on Zoom, too, is that you really can't talk over somebody. Exactly. You actually have to wait for them to finish their thought. And I'm thinking, this is a good thing. <laughs> you know, this is a good thing, especially for Susan to stop. Just stop what you're saying and listen, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that's been an interesting thing. I, I think it's going to change a little bit of our paradigm and how we relate to each other, too. There's a lot of tough stuff going on with people. And I know you've probably heard of Pastor Ford from... Um, the House of Prayer Baptist Church. Did you hear about his death from COVID? I think I did. Yes. Yeah. And how would you? How do we come to terms with things like that? You're a pastor, so I get to ask you some tough questions, right? <laughs> how do we? How do we? You know, change our perspective of the virus, but more importantly, how do we change our perspective about God? What does this virus tell us about our God? Yeah. You know, when you talk about changing perspective, and and Pastor Ford or any other pastor or um, leader, elder, whoever, or Christian, Christian period, who contracts, contracts the virus and has to deal with, um, the symptoms, but even also succumbing to the, the, the power of the virus in, in, in death. I, I think my case and Pastor Ford's case su suggests that the virus is indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate mm -hmm. that it is it doesn't just happen to people who are older. It happens to it. It, it anyone can contract the virus. A, a young girl who I think was six or seven died from Corona. Literally, it this is indiscriminate. It, it doesn't say, "Oh, are you seventy or 80? Okay, I'm going to attack your your respiratory system. Um, are you thirteen or fourteen? Ah, uh, no, you're good. I'm not going to attack. No." It really is indiscriminate, and and I, I asked the I asked the question initially, why me? Like I'm mm -hmm. like God. There are a whole bunch of evil people out there. I'm, I'm being I'm being transparent and honest here. All right? right, there are a bunch of evil people out there that probably could have or should have contracted mm -hmm. the virus. Why our family? We're trying to do it right. We're trying to do everything mm -hmm. that you've called us to do. Um, there are people out there who are killing people and raping people. Like, why us? So, so that was my initial in the flesh kind of uh, response. Did you get an answer? <laughs> no, well, well, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminded me, like, like you're not so special. I mean, you're you're a son of God, but you're you're not so special in the sense that bad things cannot happen to you. Mm, that you okay, are okay. Um, you are human. You are part of the fallen world, and and it can happen to you just like it happens to to anyone else. And so God reigns on the just as well as the unjust. So this time for me helped me to, um, to understand that, that 
that God is not absent during these times, mm -mm. Mm -mm. that 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 God is not aloof or he or he's abandoned us in this time. I just have to look at my prison situation like Paul did differently. I have to look at adversity differently now. I have to ask God, God, what is your perspective on this? God hasn't changed. No. So God doesn't always change our circumstances, but he he changes our attitude uh, in our circumstances and he gives us perspective in the midst of our adversity. And so that was that was that was good for me to hear. That was good for me to to uh, meditate on that you're starting out this starting, you know, starting this podcast off. You said I've, I've been learning God's ways are not my ways. And that has been such a helpful, helpful verse for me that as high as the heavens above the earth, so are God's ways above ours. And that has gotten me through many, many of, uh, of the early days when we had contracted the virus and we were dealing with the symptoms in a, in a pretty intense way. So have you also seen people connect differently and help each other. Tell us a little bit about some of the ways Trinity is helping and reaching out to the community. Yeah, there's, uh, man, we, we've seen, we've seen charity go up. And when, I'm, when I say charity, I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about the, the good, the good heart of neighbors helping one another, uh, actually walking on the street saying hi to each other that that did not happen prior to this mm -hmm. time. Uh, there are individuals who are saying, how can I help you? Larger churches asking the question, how can we help smaller churches with their technology and helping them to be able to live stream their worship services to their people? So I think a lot of that is going on and I, I celebrate um, I celebrate that. I have a story I had uh, connected with Ann Cody, obviously, in our church, and she had said that there were some people getting between Trinity and Mount Hope Church who were getting packages together that they wanted to service international students uh, at MSU's campus. And I work at MSU, so I got a hold of the person who was, was the, the contact at MSU, and she's with one of the fraternities there. Got a hold of her, connected her with my boss, actually. Those churches are directly churches pulling these packages together are directly serving those international students on our campus who happen to be music students because I work in the College of Music. So they happen to be music students. And I see something like that. And I just see like people all coming together to make it work. And I just Absolutely. think this is how community is supposed to be, isn't it? It's not necessarily where did the idea come from and how did it germinate, but what was the end result and how did everybody kind of come together? Have you seen some more of that too? Absolutely. So Saddleback Barbecue, um, they have two locations, one downtown and one in Okemos. They they are serving people in our community. Uh, they serve um, the, uh, the families at Summer Place uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. They just served a mid-Michigan um, Leadership Academy. I think there was about 100 students and 100 individuals that uh, Saddleback Barbecue served uh, served meals too, and this is all for free, Susan. This is all for free mm -hmm. that Saddleback is serving. Uh, Saddleback has served um, night shift work workers, um, nurses and doctors, uh, healthcare workers, 
uh, at McLaren. So, so we, we have seen this over and over and over again. We are doing a letter writing campaign now where our, the people of Trinity Church are writing letters to healthcare workers. And one group, a group of six women, they, they've written over 200 letters to our healthcare workers to encourage them wow. to say, push through the quitting points. We love you. You're doing a great job. Uh, don't quit. There's hope. There's light at the end of this dark tunnel. And that has been such, such a blessing for our people to engage. And uh, so we're seeing it literally all over. There are people who are taking, they're not necessarily with a group individually. They are serving individ, they're serving people. I know one young lady who um, kind of led and spearheaded an initiative where, um, where this group was serving, a, group, a small group was serving 10 people here in our city. Uh, these are individuals mm. who are they they are out in the in the in the public they don't have shelter they they're living in tents and so this woman in our church celebrate her she said i want to i want to lead this initiative and so she led this initiative her of her small group to serve food uh to these uh to these individuals and so i like <laughs> There's so many. You probably have a number of stories as well. There's and so the, many of these. Well, the impact, we don't know how that's going to have an impact on the gospel. Absolutely. I know for me, it's just like I, I'm sitting in a staff meeting at work, and they're talk. some of our music faculty are talking about, well, what ways can we go out and do a nice concert for the people at the church who did all this for our music students? You know, that has some impact that the churches are stepping up that the churches, and I mean church is big C, you know, the big church, um, not just necessarily one specific church, but that we're all kind of looking for ways that we can be there for each other. And, Absolutely. you know, and I think, yes, yes, we need to make, meet basic needs. Of course, that's such a great impact. But there's also um, the emotional needs that people have at this time and the spiritual needs, you know. Tell me, and like we're going to wind up our time here with one big question, and that is, what would you tell somebody out there, that one person out there who's really struggling during the pandemic? What's the one thing you wish you could, if you could just say, speak to that one person who's listening today, what would you say to them? Man, it's, it's hard to kind of whittle it down to one thing, but I, I think... I would say, uh, w without it sounding so trite, I'm going to have to give you two things, Susan. <laughs> you could do more than uh, one. <laughs> I, I would say that that God sees you, that God notices you. Um, he knows your struggle. He knows your anxiety. He knows the adversity that you're dealing with. Yes, he does. He knows the, the hurt and the pain. He knows the fear that you're dealing with. And so cry out to him. There's a passage in, I think it's Psalm 40, verses, uh, verses 1 through 3, that I called out to the Lord, and he inclined his ear to me, and he answered my cry. And he, he raised me out of the miry bog, and he put a new song in mm. my mouth. He set my feet on a secure place. And, and, and people will see how I trust God in the midst of all my fear, in the midst of all of my adversity, and or, or they will see that, and they too will trust God and fear Him, and so so your relationship with God during this period of time 
is so crucial, so significant. And uh, I would say cry out to the God who loves you, right. who sees you, and who notices you. The second thing that I would say uh, to you is to, is to find a community that, that can gather around you, uh, a community that can gather around you and pray for you and support you and cry with you and laugh with you to help give perspective, to help shift something in your heart toward, um, toward the, the ultimate plans and purposes of God. Um, I cannot, cannot stress enough that community is significant during this time. I know a lot of people who are alone and in their aloneness, they're experiencing loneliness. Mm. And I, I just, I, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, find someone even if it's just simply another person, simply another person to say, I'm struggling right now. Would you, would you pray with me? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you help me process this? I'm, you know, I'm an external processor. I'm, I'm an internal processor, but also I like to external process as well. So a lot of people out there saying, Hey, I'm, I'm processing this. Can I, can I just talk with you about this? Can I talk with you about my fear? And for the person who's listening to that person, if you're, if, you know, if, if for, for the person who's listening to that person, just listen. No immediate judgment, no glib spiritual answers right off mm-hmm. the bat. Just mm-hmm. listen mm-hmm. and just say, God sees, God notices. And um, sometimes we just simply need to practice the ministry of presence and sit in the mess with them. That's right. Be, before we start giving our opinion about something. Yeah. So those are two things that I would say. And, you know, I've seen that there's so, there are so many resources out there for people to get help. And one of the challenging things is when you do need help or you do feel alone or something like that is actually to take that initiative. And I know our, our church, Trinity church, of course, has lots of different things. We have celebrate recovery. We have life groups. We have, we're still going in strong with, uh, classes and things like that that are happening online. And we also have lay counseling, which I'm a lay counselor. And and I have found that that's a great service to people. They just need somebody to talk to. I'm encouraged, so encouraged by all the immediate response Trinity has had to this. And, you know, not just Trinity, but the church in general. It's, it's, it's encouraging to me to see that we're, we're trying to reach out. We're trying to make the niches. We are trying to make those calls and call people. And God uses us to show others that he notices them. Absolutely. And we, Absolutely. at this time, we feel when we're so isolated, we feel like we need to be noticed. And the thing is, it's, we're not talking about a notice like a stardom here, folks. We're not Absolutely. doing that. Absolutely. We're talking about that God sees you. And I challenge people on this podcast all the time to say, hey, I know God sees you. It might be in a glass of orange juice. Okay? <laughs> it might be in a glass of orange juice. Or it might just be that your pastor agreed to come on your podcast. Thank you, God. Okay. Um, you know, it could be any of those things, you know, but God does notice us and, and it's in the littlest and subtlest of ways. He is busy on our behalf. I just want to finish up our time here a little bit because I have to read this verse because it's been speaking to me and we talked about it a little bit. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, says the Lord, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I am looking forward to however long this takes for this COVID to get over with, that we join again in worship, and we really recognize we can look back. Just like all the people in the Old Testament, we can look back at their stories and see, see, God was there. Absolutely. God was there. We're going to be able to have those stories to share with our children and grandchildren. He was there during COVID-19. He was there. And this is how he was there. So I just encourage everybody to keep that in mind. And Pastor Marvin, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Um, we're glad you're healthy. We're glad mm -hmm. you're okay. Um, physically, but we're, we're so glad that God has strengthened you during this time and drawn you closer to him. Um, and thank you for everything that you do. I can't say enough. Thank you. Um, and I know I'm not speaking just for myself, but everybody else through the church. So thank you for being here and I appreciate your time. So absolutely. Susan, you, you're, um, what you're doing, what you're doing with this podcast is so, is so significant. And what I mean by that is that there are a whole lot of people who don't think God notices them. He doesn't know their address. He doesn't know who they are. And yet we, we serve a God who is so big, so amazing, so awesome, that he stoops down and, uh, and he takes notice. He takes notice um, like he did. Um, he noticed our sin and he sent his son Jesus. And as he sent his son Jesus, uh, that was God taking notice of us. Uh, to, to literally cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness uh, from as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sin. And to me, it wasn't just the special people. It was literally everybody, everybody. rich, poor, black, yes. white, yes. children, adults. Mm -hmm. He noticed uh, He noticed us. He noticed our pain. He noticed where we were. And he sent his son. And Jesus died uh, a horrible death. Uh, so that we might be restored to a God who loves us, who comes near to the brokenhearted, and who says, I see you, Susan. I see you, Marvin. Uh, I see you, John. I see you, Mary. I see you, Ben. I see you, Kate. Like, I, I see you in all of the stuff that you're in. And uh, I'm the God who comes to show up and rescue. And so you're doing an amazing well, job with well, this podcast. Thank you. And so thank you. Amen, brother. It sounds like you could be a good <laughs> preacher or something. <laughs> so I, again, I thank you so much for being here. If you are someone who is struggling during the pandemic, as Pastor Marvin mentioned, please reach out. Take that step to be involved in a community. Call a friend or family member you haven't talked to in a while or don't hesitate to connect with our church family at Trinity. Just visit wearetrinity.com to find out about our weekly services, connect with a small group, or reach out for support. Who knows, maybe this podcast today was just God's way of noticing you. Next time on The Notice. During this quarantine, have you found yourself reflecting on big things in life, like your job, your marriage, your goals? Perhaps you are rethinking your priorities, how you want to do things differently, and what really matters. Join us for the next episode of The Notice, where we talk about how Jesus used processing time for growth and a deeper connection with His Father. Hear how we take notice of so much more about God 
and we take the time to process. Until next time, take Oh